All right. We're going through the hard time letters, practical life skills from Paul's prison epistles. Last week, we began with Colossians. This week, we pick up in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and the title of the message is Jesus is Number One. You ever do a puzzle and at the end of it, you find that there's a missing piece? That's pretty frustrating. Sometimes when we're studying the Bible or simply reading the Bible and trying to understand it, it feels the same way, like there's a missing piece. You will see this missing piece that you see up on the screen. This missing piece of the puzzle will come up again later in our text. However, what I'm about to talk to you about has very little to do with our text. You'll be happy when you discover the missing piece of the puzzle. Nevertheless, in Matthew 24, in my English Standard Version, it has a subtitle at the beginning that says, Jesus foretells destruction of the temple, because that's clearly what it's about. Jesus begins in Matthew 24 talking about the destruction of the temple. And then there's a subtitle just a few verses later that says, Signs of the End of the Age. Because his disciples ask him, when are these things going to happen? What are the signs? And when are the signs going to be of the end of the age? Jesus does speak of the end of the world at the end of Matthew 24. But he addresses the signs of the destruction of the temple, the signs that will help them to understand when the temple is going to be destroyed. He discusses that first. And as he does this, it gives us a little bit of a struggle because there appears to be a missing piece. A lot of people will read about these signs, about wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters and, oh, these are the end of, these are the signs of the end of the world. Well, Jesus was talking about the end of Judaism as they knew it, because the temple was going to get destroyed, and it did get destroyed in 70 AD. So we know that when Jesus predicted this, it did come true about 40 years later. However, this particular verse gives us a little bit of a hiccup. Matthew 24, verse 14, in speaking of these signs, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And people read this and say, well, pastor, he said this is about the destruction of the temple, but we still got to wait for the gospel to be proclaimed in all the world. Some people read this and say, oh, this is talking about the end of the world. And Jesus cannot return because we still have to wait for the gospel to be proclaimed throughout the world. And so, it's a hiccup for many of us. Others confuse us and we find ourselves with a missing piece of a puzzle. But we'll discover that piece in our text today. Even though our text is really not about eschatological things. We will discover a piece of a puzzle in eschatological discussions, especially pertaining to this verse in Matthew chapter 24. 
But let's go ahead and start with our study today. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we wrapped up last week with these words. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's a cool way to wrap it up. He's talking about salvation. It's a great thing to be reminded of our salvation. He has delivered us from the dark side. We pick up with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now that's interesting, this concept of the invisible God. For thousands of years, God was invisible. Sure, they saw manifestations of God, like Moses on the mountain. And with Moses, with manifestations with Pharaoh, manifestations of God it had been seen, but God was invisible for thousands of years. And yet our text today says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. People like to criticize and say, oh, I can't believe in God because I can't see him. He's invisible. Yet they believe in oxygen. Nevertheless, for thousands of years, God was invisible. That all changed when Jesus came in the flesh. Our text says he is the image of the invisible God. Because Jesus came and he walked the earth. It says he's the firstborn of all creation. This concept will continue in our text today. And it's vital that we understand how important Jesus is. Our text continues in verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he brings up that visible and invisible thing again because all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether they're visible or invisible. He also brings up thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All of these things which are created through him and for him. And that's a frustrating thing for us to wrestle with because we currently in our world today are very troubled by things that federal, state, and even local governments have been doing. So much seems to not make sense anymore that's coming from government authorities. Yet Romans 8.28 is still true. And so we should pray for them. We should be respectful. God has a plan and God is sovereign. But similar verbiage is used about Jesus creating all things in John chapter 1 verse 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that, ha that was made. And think about it. What did God mean when he created man in his image? And he said, let us make man in our image. Who's us? Who's our? 
And why did he speak everything into existence? He's God. Couldn't he have just made it happen without speaking anything? But he chose to use the words for us that he spoke things into existence so that later we would try to wrap our heads around this mysterious concept that Jesus was the very concept, the spoken word. It's how all things were created through Jesus, that very concept, that very spoken word. It's deep. You should try to get an understanding of it. And it's brought up here again in Colossians. Verse 17 continues, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the superglue of the universe. Stars are suspended because of him. Gravity works the way it works, and we can have life as we know it here on earth, continuing because of him. Understand this, and you might not get caught up in too many other things that are simply a distraction in life. He's before all things, and in him all things are sustained. And if you can understand that, maybe when you're going through struggles in life, you can understand who can sustain you. If you're struggling, go to the sustainer of the universe. He can help. Verse 18 continues in our text, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the head of the body, the church. Some will get into discussions and ask, okay, so at your church, who's actually in charge? Is it the preacher? Is it the deacons? Is it the elders? And the answer should always be Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And any leadership in the church should submit to Christ's leadership, lest they find themselves and their church in trouble. He's the beginning. Oh, we've already talked about that. That concept just keeps coming up. He's the beginning. He was there at the beginning, and all things were created through him. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He conquered death so that we could have eternity. That's love. That in everything he might be preeminent. What is preeminent? It's another word for superior. Above all others. Above all others what? Other what? Everything. Jesus is number one. Whether you make him number one in your life or not. God has made him number one. He is number one. He supersedes all others. He is preeminent. It would behoove you to make him Lord of your life, to live for him so that you can have the Savior, so that you may be saved and spend eternity with him. If you live for him, you make him number one in your life. But whether you do or not has no impact on the fact 
that he is number one because God made him that. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus came and God gave him all his fullness. And it was perfect that it would be in him. Sure, there were limitations while he was here on earth. But as he's been enthroned at the right hand of God, he has all the fullness of God. And he has made it so that through him, all things can be reconciled to himself. That concept of reconciliation is very similar to the idea that when you are looking at your income versus the outflow of resources, whether it's a personal account or business, you can't know really what's been happening until you reconcile those things. And Jesus has done what it takes so that you can know that everything has been made good because he's number one. And you, if you make him number one in your life, peace and this is true everywhere he is number one above all things and everywhere he wants to reconcile all things and to grant you peace and that's what the cross was all about if you make him Lord you get to have him as Savior and he died so that you could have peace. And Christians are the only ones who can actually know true peace. That is by making him Lord, choosing to live for him, accepting his offer of salvation. As he died so that we could have that. What a wonderful thing. Now, I want to read to you the rest of our text, maybe. And you, verse 21 is where we begin now, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Once again, we have that concept. We were on, we were in the dark side and on the dark side. We were once alienated because you see, sin separates us from God. But with Jesus dying on the cross, we can be forgiven and not be alienated. Hostile in mind. What is that? Well, we didn't know it. But we resisted the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We resisted accepting Jesus until we finally accepted him. And that meant we were hostile toward him. Doing evil deeds. Yeah, we didn't know we were doing evil deeds until we came to know him and we realized, oh, yes, we were. He's now reconciled in his 
body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You can be made whole. Not perfect, but whole. Because he who is perfect died for those of us who are not. And you can be made whole. You can be forgiven. If you want to be. This is talking about salvation. I think we all understand this, right? This is talking about salvation through Jesus Christ. But look what it says in verse 23. If. Don't miss that word. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the gospel, the hope of the gospel. The doctrine of eternal security does not fit with verse 23. You would have to black out of the Bible this verse and many others in the Calvinistic, Calvinistic teaching of the doctrine of eternal security, also known as once saved, always saved. It says that you can be saved if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So what if you don't? What if you don't continue in the faith, stable and steadfast? What if you do shift from the hope of the gospel? Do people do that? Well, obviously there's a possibility, or you wouldn't have the word if here. You can be reconciled. You can be saved. You can have peace. You can be blameless and above reproach. You can no longer be alienated. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So I implore you, as Scripture is screaming off the pages, continue in your faith. Be stable and steadfast. Cling to the hope of the gospel, no matter how desperate times may get. Then you may remain reconciled to Jesus. I'd like to wrap this up uh, in just a minute. But uh, first, I want to bring up that puzzle piece. You see, I didn't read the entirety of verse 23. But this is the puzzle piece we were looking for when we spoke about eschatological things regarding Matthew 24. So we'll continue reading the rest of this verse 23 in our text hope of the gospel, this gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul is a servant of this gospel. But notice what it says here. It has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. In the first century, Jesus said the gospel has to first be proclaimed to all the world before the destruction of the temple would happen. That's Matthew 24. And Paul, in that same first century, inspired by God, wrote from prison this Colossian letter and said boldly in our text today, in verse 23, that the gospel had already been proclaimed to the known world. So, 
there's that missing piece of the puzzle. You don't have to wait on something else to happen to know that the temple was destroyed. And even if you believe Jesus was talking about the end of the world, we don't have to wait on the gospel to be proclaimed to the known world because Paul said in the first century to us through scripture inspired by God, it already had been proclaimed. There's that missing piece of the puzzle. Now I'd like to wrap this up with a quote from Matthew Henry. Speaking of our text, he said, If convinced that we were enemies in our minds by wicked works, and that we are now reconciled to God by the sacrifice and death of Christ in our nature, we shall not attempt to explain away, nor yet think fully to comprehend these mysteries, but we shall see the glory of this plan of redemption and rejoice in the hope set before us. If this be so, that God's love is so great to us, what shall we do now for God? Let's pray. God help us as we aim to please you in this life here on earth. Sometimes the struggles are so, so very real, so difficult. We ask that you will help us as we aim to keep our faith and to be stable and steadfast and to cling to the gospel of hope so that you will maintain peace that only your people know. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.